Welcome, GetWell. So glad that you are here on this beautiful day, whether you're in the room or you are joining us online from wherever you are. So very glad to be with you as we are going over the halfway mark in our series called The Thread. If you're just joining with us, what we're doing is we're walking through, yes, we are doing this, walking through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, from the first creation to the new creation. And here's what we're looking for together, the thread of God's redemptive plan through it all. And what we're discovering together is that Jesus is and has always been the plan. He's not the backup plan. He's plan A. He is everything. And even in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, we can see Jesus and we're going to see him in the book of Revelation at the end. He is in it all and through it all because here's God's plan for you and me. Is that God wants to come and do what we cannot do for ourselves. He wants to make a way where there is no way. He wants to free us from sin and death through his son, Jesus. And he wants to bring us into life. Here's the greatest truth that we'll ever, ever come to grips with in life is that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that Jesus came into the world extending God's love and compassion, that Jesus came to be the face of God, the voice of God, the life of God, that God loved us so much that he wanted us to be able to experience life with him in the flesh and blood, and so he sent Jesus. That Jesus came to show us how to love God and how to step into God's kingdom. And ultimately Jesus came to free us from sin and death by giving his life a criminal's death on the cross. And he told his disciples over and over and over from the moment they started to follow him, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm gonna give my life, but three days later, I'm gonna rise from the dead. And he pulled it off and he did it. This is the greatest news that we will ever, ever have. The question is, will we wrestle with it to the point where we can really trust it and surrender to it and live by it? So let's take a look at where we've been. So we talked about this whole uh, journey starting with God's creation that God created. And we talked about two reasons that God created in love to give love to us and he created for his glory. And then God began to bring a people together, the patriarchs, and he made a covenant promise that I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And then they found themselves in slavery, but we saw that God is still at work. Even when life is not going as we think it should or what, the way we'd want it to go, God is still at work and he's still redeeming. And he brought the people and he was bringing them to the promised land. And then we began to see this pattern. We saw this pattern where God would call out to the people and the people would say, yes, we're going to follow you. But as soon as things started to go they want, the way they wanted them to go, they were like, well, we're going to do life our way. We kind of like being comfortable. We kind of like doing things the way we want to do it. And they find themselves in trouble. They'd cry out to God. God heard their voices. God would bring them back with miracles and wonders. And, and he would lavish his love over them and forgiveness and mercy. And then they do their things they wanted to do again and they fall right back into that same pattern. We saw this all the way up to the exile where the people had uh, found themselves literally being removed from their homes and brought to a foreign land. But in God's love, he brings them back. But they still won't listen. They still don't turn to God. And so God says, okay, if you won't listen to my voice, maybe you'll listen to my silence. And we talked about last week, the people experiencing 
400 years of silence where God did not speak through a prophet or, or move in ways that they could hear or see. But we talked about last week how God was still setting the stage for what is to come. And it all is pointing to today, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Here's the truth. If you want to understand who God is and what God is doing in the world and in your life, pay attention to Jesus. Pay attention to who he is and what he's doing. So let's take a look. What is the ministry of Jesus all about? We're going to be in Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had what? He had come home. Now here's an interesting question. As we read through the Gospels and we see Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. Why would Jesus make a decision to travel north and set up his home base in a place called Capernaum? Now, Capernaum was a town, a city on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, north of Nazareth, 70 miles north of Jerusalem to get to the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus set up his home base there. As a matter of fact, Jesus spent 80% of his ministry in and around Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee. Why? Well, there might be a couple of reasons that we can pick up on, on why Jesus would do this. Perhaps one of the reasons uh, that Jesus would do this is because in the town and the region around Capernaum, scholars have found through the writings of history that the people were more open to the idea, the truth of grace, and they were longing for the love of God. Let me show you a picture. If you were to go to Capernaum today, this is what you would walk into in the very middle of the town. In first century Capernaum stood in the very middle of the neighborhood with houses surrounding it, a first century synagogue. And in this place, people would come to worship. They would he come to hear the word of God. They would come to discover how do we step into God's kingdom. And the people, the rabbis were teaching people of this is what you do to follow God. And what we found through the writings is that they were open to the idea of God's mercy, the idea of God's grace, the idea of God's love. And the people were longing to experience the love of God. Maybe it could be that Jesus wanted to come into a place where people were open to the gospel, the good news that he brought, that Jesus came to people telling them, I'm not coming to judge you, to tell you to figure things out. I'm coming to show you that there is life and a better way and there's hope and you have a future through God and his mercy and his love if you will trust and receive me. Maybe that's what Jesus was about. Maybe it could be that Jesus set up his home base in Capernaum because he wanted to share that good news of God's grace to as many people as possible. Let me show you another image here. This is a picture of what's called the Jesus boat. Uh, the Jesus boat is, uh, was found in the Sea of Galilee 
And if you, the top corner right here, there's an artistic uh, depiction of what it possibly could have looked like. But here's what we need to know about the Jesus boat is that the Sea of Galilee, as Jesus was walking around Capernaum and the cities around the Sea of Galilee, would have been full of boats like this. And what were they doing in boats like this? They were fishing. Capernaum in particular was a city of people who had to work and they had to work hard to make a living. Capernaum was a, a city full of people who worked the night shift. They were on the third shift. They were on the, the, the people who said, we've got to work. We're blue collar and we've got to figure this out. And, and most of the people around us don't have a whole lot of high expectations for us, but we've got to make a way. And we got to get our hands dirty. And the economy of Capernaum was driven by fishermen and people who had to work hard. It was ordinary, normal people. These weren't people who were extraordinarily gifted in the eyes of the world. These weren't people who, who were rising to power and wealth in the eyes of the world. But these were people who would be open to the idea that maybe God can do something in my life. Maybe God wanted to reach as many ordinary, normal kind of people just like you and me as possible. It could be, maybe Jesus set up his camp in Capernaum because he wanted to reach the world. Let me show you one final picture. This is Capernaum right here on the northwestern edge of Galilee. And you see this red line running across the screen. This is called the Via Maris a first century Roman road that ran from Damascus, a major city in the north, all the way down to Caesarea on the coast, all the way down to Egypt. A major, major highway for commerce, a major, major highway for Rome to spread their ideals and political decrees, a major highway for people, uh, to, for Rome to share uh, art and culture throughout the empire. And look where it runs through right through Capernaum. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus made his home there in Capernaum because he wanted to take this good news, this news of grace, this news that God wants to work in ordinary, normal lives. He wanted to take that news to as many people as he possibly could. And over and over and over again, Jesus sharing this gospel, this good news that God is at work and God is here and God is love and God is forgiving and God wants to give a second chance. This is the news that Jesus taught. This is the news that he preached. It is the news that he shared with every single person he ever came into contact with. That God is for you, that God is moving, but we have to receive what God is doing. Do you want a second chance? This is particularly the case uh, with a, a man that Jesus meets by the name of Levi. And we see this interaction if we keep reading in chapter 2 of Mark, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw, here he is, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the, where? At the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. 
There's so much happening here in this brief interaction that Jesus has with a man named Levi. Jesus coming in a moment, inviting Levi into a second chance. Levi, I want to invite you into something that God is doing, something greater than what you see, something greater than what you experience. God wants to do something and you, Levi, will you receive the invitation? Now, Jesus extends this invitation to Levi because he sees something in Levi. So what does he see? One of the things that Jesus sees is he sees brokenness in Levi. I mean, who is this man named Levi? Well, one thing we know is that he's a tax collector. Now, if you've studied the Bible, you know that tax collectors would have won the award for the least popular person in Israel. They were the the Jewish people who turned to Rome and said, we want to serve you, Rome. And in doing that, we want to take money from the people that you're occupying who happen to be our brothers and sisters. God, we we are willing, Rome, to to take money for you. And by the way, if you were a tax collector, the way you made your living is you had to skim some off the top. So you would have to ask more from the people than what Rome asked you to give. And so you can imagine just how unpopular tax collectors were. They were the people that others thought had turned their back, had betrayed them, had turned to the enemy to pad their own pockets. And so Levi didn't have a lot of friends, but there's something more here. It's not just that Levi was a tax collector, but Levi had a history. Who is Levi? Well, there's something in a name. See, prior to uh, Levi's generation, if you were to go years back, uh, the Hebrew people named their children based on different things. It could have been the way the child looked. It could have been what was going on in their life at the time. It could have been based on circumstances. It could have been on hopes and dreams that they had for that child. But after the building of the second temple, the people of God, the Israelites, were struggling to hold on to records of genealogy. And if you've read the Bible, you know how important genealogies are to the Israelite people. And they were struggling to know who we are and where we come from. We've been occupied by the Assyrians and Babylonians and Greeks and now the Romans. Who are we and where where is our lineage? And so they began to do something different. After the building of the second temple, they began to name their children based on family. And so one of the things we know about Levi is that Levi's name came from his family. Now, if if you've been following along in the reading plan, we're reading through the Old Testament, Levi should remind us of something, a group of people, a group called the Levites. And who were the Levites? The Levites were the priests. They were the people that served in the tabernacle and then the temple. These were the holy people of God called to serve him. It was probably the case that Levi came from a family of people who had a history of serving God. And here Levi is. Not only is he not serving God, but he's betraying essentially the people of Israel and he's serving the enemy, serving Rome, padding his pockets along the way. I wonder, I just wonder if perhaps Levi's family was a little disappointed. I wonder if Levi was a little disappointed. I wonder if Levi thought to himself, man, I never thought I would be here. How did I get to this place? This is not where I set out to be. 
I wonder if we ever feel that. Asking ourselves the question, how did I get here? I, I believe Jesus saw brokenness in Levi and Jesus came the way that Jesus always came. There's one adjective that is used to describe Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John more than any other adjective in the English. It's the word compassion. Jesus came with compassion in the midst of Levi's brokenness and he invited him in. I think Jesus not just saw brokenness, but I think Jesus saw purpose in Levi. Now, how do I know that? Well, look at what Jesus says. He comes to Levi, the tax collector, and this two-word phrase that was wrought with meaning, follow me. Now, follow me was a common phrase for a rabbi to say in the first century. That word meant that I think there's something in you that you can do something greater than what's happening now. If you grew up in the first century in Israel, the first thing you would do as a child is you would begin to go to school and not to learn math and science and English and reading, but you would go to school to learn the Old Testament. Particularly, you would start with the first five books of the Bible and you would learn them, but you wouldn't just learn them, you would begin to memorize them. And if you got through that level of schooling and you were able to memorize the first five books of the Bible, you would go on to secondary school. You would go up to the next level and you'd begin to learn and not just learn, but memorize not just the first five books, but all of what we call the Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi memorized. And if you were one of the best and you could memorize it and you had it in your heart, you could go to a local rabbi and you could say, Rabbi, can I learn from you? Can, can I be a part of your entourage and, and listen to you teach and go around with you and be a part of what you're doing? And if you were one of the best, then that rabbi would say, yes. But if you were one of the very best, the best of the best, and there was something sparkling in you that was shining above all the rest, a rabbi might just come to you and say, follow me. And what that rabbi was saying was not, I want you to learn and know what I know. What that rabbi was saying is, I want you to do what I do begins to give context to the interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. It's why Jesus comes and when there's 5,000 people to feed and he's got a few loaves and a few fish and he goes to the disciples and he says, you feed them. That's why they're in a boat on the Sea of Galilee in, in the dark and Jesus is out on the water and Peter says, God, Jesus, if it's you, call me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. Peter, you can walk on water when you're fixated on me, when you're in my presence. That's why Jesus sent the 70 out and said, I want you to go into the towns and tell them about the kingdom of God. It's why Jesus called the disciples to carry on the mission after his resurrection. He saw in them that they could do what he was doing. He sees in us that we are called the body of Christ, that we carry on the mission of Jesus that we lean in with compassion and love and truth. And yes, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, God's power to move in miraculous ways. God is still at work. God saw a purpose in Levi. And I think Jesus saw a future for Levi. 
as Jesus was inviting Levi in, I think what he was saying is, Levi, I know you're sitting at the tax collector's booth. And I know you never thought you would be here. And I know that's where you are. But Levi, that's not where you will be. You have a future in me. Levi, you don't have to be stuck. You don't have to be here. You can be where I am moving you to. See, what Jesus saw was what Levi could not see, that around the corner, the Holy Spirit was coming to fill him and work in him and move in him. What Levi could not see is that Jesus had great things to do in and through his life. And he was inviting him in. And so Jesus comes to us and he's inviting us in. He's saying to us, I see your brokenness, but I do not come with judgment, but I come with mercy and compassion. I know your disappointments. I know your hurts. I know your regrets. I know your shame, but that does not have to be who you are. And you have a greater purpose that I've got. I want to do great things in and through your life. Things that you could never imagine being a part of is what I want to do in and through you because you have a future. You cannot see what's around the corner. But let me tell you this. Jesus says, I know where you are, but it is not where you will be. I got somewhere for you if you'll trust me and receive me because I'm doing a new thing. See, Jesus is always inviting us into the truth. The good news that Jesus brings, the, the, the gospel of, of Christ, that God made a way where there was no way, is not based on how I feel on any particular day. It is based on the truth of who Jesus was and what he did and what he accomplished. That Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do. That he began to tell his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be killed. And the Son of Man is going to be killed and he's going to rise again on the third day. And then Jesus actually pulled it off. That if I'm going to follow anybody, it's going to be the one who said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And then he did it just the way he said he would. And the Jewish authorities could not present a body. The Roman authorities could not present a body because Jesus had risen. And for 40 days, he walked around with all kinds of people and the hundreds of people saw him. People put their hands in the wounds. They had meals with him. They talked with him. We've got four gospels that have been, uh, stand the test of history, retelling the good news. You've got Jewish writers like Josephus who did not follow Jesus, who corroborate the events around his life, his death, and resurrection. We lean into the truth of what Jesus has done for us, that he's inviting us in. So what does this mean? What does it look like for us? Well, we keep reading Mark chapter 2, same chapter. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him, and his disciples were for the and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And here's our key verse. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Please hear this. Jesus is not trying to convince you that you are a bad person who needs to be good. 
Jesus is inviting you into the truth that we are dead and need life. That spiritually we have no hope without him, but in him we have all hope and we have the greatest future and we have a purpose and we have love and we have grace and we have power in him, in the empty tomb, in the resurrection. Jesus has made a way. He is the bridge and he's come to save us. We don't have to get our act together. We don't have to know the right things. We don't have to behave the right way. We just have to say yes to Jesus and his invitation to us. And this means some very particular things for us, some truths that will change everything. One of those truths is for me to understand, I am invited. I'm invited that Jesus is initiating. I promise you, if you're in a moment right now, if you're in a season right now and you cannot hear him, you cannot see him, you're not sure about him, you don't quite know where Jesus fits in your life, I promise you, he is pursuing you. He's setting up relationships. He's setting up circumstances. He's setting up events in your life that you might encounter the good news that Jesus comes to set you free, to save you, to love you, to redeem you. You have an invitation. It means that I can be free, that I don't have to keep living in the traps that are holding me, whether it's habits or addictions or patterns or lies that I continue to hold on to. I don't have to continue to carry those forward, but I can be free of those. That Jesus comes to free me from death and all kinds of death, from relational death, from occupational death, from financial death, from spiritual death. He's coming to give me life in every way and life abundant and to free me up, not just from sin, but for his glory that I can step fully into the life that God wants for me. I can be free from all the stuff that is holding me back. And it means I can be different. The Holy Spirit is promised to you when you say yes to Jesus. When you say, Lord, I trust Jesus. You are the Son of God. I trust that you came to die. I trust that you rose again. I trust that you gave your life for my life. You took on sin because of me. You want to set me free, Lord. You want to forgive me. You want to give me new life. When I say yes to Jesus, I am promised the indwelling, the Holy Spirit indwelling, living in me. And my spirit is joined to God's spirit. And the miracle is not just that I'm forgiven, but I become one with God. And I'm forgiven and set free and the Holy Spirit is living in me. And because of that power living in me, I can be different. I don't have to keep living in the same habits and patterns and circles and all that stuff, but I can be free from that. I can be set free to live differently. See, here's a truth that we need to come to grips with. As we look around the world, as we look at how people are responding to COVID, how people are responding to the political strife, how people are responding to the racial division, how people are responding to economic trouble, how people are responding to family difficulties, how people are responding to sickness and heartache. As we look at how people are broken and responding to those things, can we all just agree that normal is not working for anybody? I don't wanna be normal anymore. Jesus was not normal, that's why he stood out. And Jesus says, with my Holy Spirit living in you, you can be different. 
And we can go to the world and the people around us and say, I know that you're carrying some stuff. I wanna show you how to lay it down. Not that I just continue to carry my stuff and your stuff, but let's lay it down. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 11. This was his invitation. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anybody feeling weary and burdened? And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke in the first century for a rabbi was their interpretation of God's ways and God's life, God's kingdom. What he was saying was, let me show you what God's kingdom is really all about. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is time for us to lay the burdens down. To lay the burdens of the world down not to ignore them, not to act like they're not there, but to say, I got a different way. And quite honestly, for us to lay down the burdens of a, a heavy behavior-based religion, that we do not come just to church, we come to Jesus. We come to the empty tomb. We come to the resurrection. We come to the one who says, not do for me, but the one who says, it is finished, it is done. I've done it for you. Lay it down. What I'm, I so want us to say yes to is to say yes to Jesus. To say yes to his invitation, to say yes to what he wants to do in me, to set me free, to say yes to the power that he offers that I can live differently. And maybe you're here today and watching online and you're just feeling the burdens of the world, feeling the burdens of your life, feeling the burdens of your family, feeling the burdens of things you're walking through. Would you say yes to Jesus and lay it down? Say it may not go away, but Jesus is overcome. And I'm gonna live in that hope. Or here's what I know and believe is that there are folks here today, you're watching online, and you said yes to all kinds of things, church, the Bible, religion. You said yes to morality and trying to be a good person, but you've never said yes to Jesus. Today could be the day that you mark on the calendar that says, I experienced freedom. March 14th, 2021 was my day of freedom. When I said yes to Jesus. If that's you, it's a very simple but profound prayer where we say, and we need to repeat this daily, brothers and sisters, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I need you. I cannot fix this. I cannot measure up to you. I don't want to live in shame. I need freedom in you. And so I trust you, Jesus. I trust the historical accounts that you died and rose again for me. I trust you and I confess Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is Lord and I will follow him. With your help, God, I will follow you. Lord, give me your Holy Spirit that I can live in and through you. 
very simple but profound prayer. I just encourage you to pray that for the first time or another time that we receive God and remember what God has done. If you'll stand, we're gonna sing one more song. These altar rails, if you're here in the room, are open if you'd like to come and kneel and pray about anything going on in your life. Maybe you wanna pray about a circumstance. You're gonna pray about a sickness you're walking through. You wanna pray about a decision. You're gonna pray about a burden you're carrying. Maybe you wanna pray for salvation to come into your life today. You wanna say yes to Jesus today. Whatever you're walking through, you can come and pray. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, just wave us on over and we'd love to do that. You can pray at home. But I'm gonna pray for us as we go into this song and let's see what Jesus is inviting us into. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the bridge. God, thank you for conquering sin and death. Thank you, Lord, for not waiting for us but you moved first. Thank you for a face to see, a voice to hear, a life to experience that we can know you. That we can say yes to you, Lord. I pray that you would be stirring right now. I pray your Holy Spirit would be moving in the hearts and minds of us gathered in the room and online that whatever our next yes needs to be, that you would spur us on to do that in faith, by trust and surrender to you. Knowing Lord that in you is compassion, in you is purpose, in you is a future. So come Holy Spirit, move us to you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.